What a blessing to be here today. Amen. Turn, if you would, to the book of Matthew. We're going through the book of Matthew, the kingdom business. We're down to chapter 5, verse 6 today. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Would you stand, please, in honor of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient word? Let's just go ahead and read the first verse and following too. Seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. When he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Father, thank you today for the joy to be able to come into your presence, just to be at home, Lord, to sense the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the music, everything that's been done up to this point. Lord, would you just continue to have your hand in everything? I pray you'd cleanse me and hide me behind the cross, that no one would see anyone except Jesus today. You'd be high and lifted up and exalted. And Lord, when it comes to the time for decision-making, may we already say yes to whatever you want us to do. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Are you hungry for the Lord? Jesus is establishing his kingdom in this uh, sermon. The Beatitudes, we know it as, meaning perfect happiness or perfect blessedness. And uh, he may not be sitting in the Oval Office today. He may not have a palace and may not have all the uh, accolades of what we think leaders ought to have, but he's still king. He's still king of kings and lord of lords. And one of these days he's coming back. He's coming back. We're going to be caught up to meet him in the air and we're going to go through, they're going to go through seven years of tribulation. Some of you want to, you're welcome to, but I'm planning on being in heaven. Uh, and then he's coming back and put a foot on the Mount of Olives and it'll split and he'll set up a thousand year reign here on this earth. But the deal is this, you don't have to wait till he comes back. You don't have to wait till sin is conquered in this world physically. You can carve out a spot right now and make him Lord of your life right now. You can begin to live as he is the king right now. We've said this over and over again as we've looked into Matthew, Jesus is the king. It's his kingdom. And the real truth is, I don't want to be ugly, but I just want to tell you straight, whatever the king says is what's going to happen. You can sit here and argue with me if you want to. You can say, well, that's not right. You can do all that. He's just, he's holy, he's perfect. And it's going to be a glorious, refreshing thing to be a part of a government here on this earth that's going to be just. Mm. But we don't see a whole lot of that today. Not a whole lot of it. There ought to be one king in our heart and one king only, and his name ought to be Jesus. The Beatitudes are contradictory to what the world wants today. Blessed are the poor in spirit. We've looked at that before. And that simply means that we are totally dependent upon the Lord Jesus Christ. We're nothing in ourselves. Nothing. 
And then he said, blessed are they that mourn. And we're talking about mourning over sin. I want to tell you, when you see a little child over here at Children's Hospital in Dallas, it ought to make you hate the devil more than you've ever hated him in your life. Because because of sin, we've got those things until the Lord comes back. Then he said, blessed are the meek. And he's not talking about the weak there. He's talking about the meek. He's probably not talking about your pastor. When you talk about the meek, you're talking about those people who would say, uh, I'm not going to seek revenge. I'm going to let God do his own work. Sometimes we like to get in on ourselves. Amen? Mm. And then he says today, blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Happiness is not something you go after. So many people today are going after happiness. Happiness is not something you go after. Happiness is something that happens when you go after God. When you're after God, happiness can come. But if you're not after God, you're not going to ever have perfect blessedness or perfect happiness. Listen, it's not God's fault that you're not happy. You've gone after the wrong things. We've filled our lives and our uh, bodies and our spiritual beings up with things that don't matter, that are full of this world. I don't know if you've ever been really thirsty or hungry before. I'm not talking about last night about quarter to 12. I thought, boy, I'm hungry. And the only thing I found in the refrigerator was some pimento cheese. It was only out of date by about four days, so it was good. (laughs) Amen. I don't know if y'all have that problem at your house or not. (laughs) But it was good. It was good. But I'm talking about really being hungry and starvation. Your body temperature drops and the body swells from fluid under the skin. Dehydration occurs. Our bodies are 60% uh, water to start with. And so constantly our bodies are trying to take effect and, and uh, for depletion and the vital organs of lungs and hearts and muscle mass and all of that. And, and, and literally uh, we can become cool and pale and clammy and our breathing becomes shallow, our heart rate uh, beats rapidly and we're, we're in need of water. The same thing happens spiritually that happens physically. When you come to the place where you're not having enough spiritual food, you get cold, you get clammy, you're usually irritable, difficult to be around, you're what we call a crankhead, your vision is affected, you got difficulty seeing the Lord and the blessings in, his, in your lives. You've got difficulty sharing tears uh, for others and for sin. And a lot of times your mouth may be inflamed uh, with selfish, angry, argumentative words. If you're a Christian and you leave the Lord out of your life, there ought to be a hunger there. If you're really, really saved, there's going to be a hunger and a thirst. And you're going to want to come back. But for the wicked, for those who've never been saved... They don't understand satisfying that quench or that hunger or that thirst because nothing will satisfy them. They're after the things like alcohol, drugs, money, material possessions, fame, power, popularity, immorality, even religion. None of those things are going to satisfy you. Not at all. You may get a little temporary fulfillment, but none of those things are lasting. So let's look at it here quickly. Number one, I see a natural appetite here. 
natural. You know, a natural appetite, there's some things you just don't have to be told. Uh, you don't have to think about them. You don't have to be in a thought pattern. You don't have to go take a three-day course to figure them out. There's some things that are just natural. And hungry is one of them. When a little baby is born, he has an appetite. You don't have to tell him how to have an appetite. He's got an appetite. And you, they put them little bitty bottles when they leave the, the uh, hospital, and then they get a little bigger, and then they get a little bigger, and then they get to be teenagers. It takes three ribeyes and three baked potatoes to fill them up there. Yeah, the normal thing is your appetite ought to grow as you get older and you grow. Same thing spiritually. That's why Paul said to desire the sincere milk of the word because it ought to be a normal thing. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, listen, your mama ought not to have to tell you. Your preacher ought not to have to tell you. Nobody ought to have to tell you. You ought to have a desire and hunger and thirst after the things of God. That's a natural appetite. It's a characteristic of life. Jesus said, oh, the joy of those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. But then I look secondly, and I call this the Leon Lovett syndrome. And that not only is there a natural appetite, there's an unquenchable appetite. Now, for those of you who don't know Leon, we try to feed him on men's breakfast, and he, he eats more food for a skinny man than any man I've ever seen in my entire life. And I'll always say, Leon, did you get enough? And he'll say one word, almost. Almost. See, that ought to be the way it is when we're after hunger and thirsting after spirituality. We never get enough. The more we hunger and the more we thirst, almost. Man, I almost got full last night on the Word of God. But I got to get up and get it again this morning. I almost got full. But i got to keep on going. You see, the Christian that's in tune with the Lord has an appetite for the things of God. He hungers for spiritual matters there. And those who have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, they've got a passion for righteousness in their own lives. They want to see honesty. They want to see integrity and justice and even practical holiness. I say practical holiness because we need to understand that living for Jesus is not being a weirdo. It's not being some nut. I'm talking about practical holiness. Uh, wanting the things that are honest. Desiring the best things for others. The truly born again person has an inner passion for righteousness. And when believers bewail their own and society's sinfulness and pray that God will send a revival to clean things up, that's, that's pointing in the right direction of hunger and righteousness. This word hunger is mentioned here. comes from a Greek word that carries the idea of a craving or a seeking, an earnest desire to be needy. The word thirst comes, has the idea of those who thirst and painfully feel their want of those things by which the soul is refreshed. Isaiah 55, 1 says this, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. He that hath no money, come ye buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do ye spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfies not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat that which is good, and let your soul delight. Psalm 42, 1 is the deer panteth for the water. Oh, my soul longs after thee. That picture is, is there of a deer that's literally panting. He's craving water there. 
And if you know anything about an appetite, you know that just because you got it quenched today doesn't mean it's going to be quenched tomorrow. You're going to wake up and you're going to be hungry tomorrow. Or you're going to walk by some kind of a donut shop and you smell the thing all over town there and that creates hunger inside of you too. It's unquenchable. It comes back over and over and over again. And our hunger and our thirst for righteousness is not to be a one-time deal like a tuberculosis shot. Well, I got my shot for Jesus and I'm okay. It comes back and it comes back and it comes back. Every one of us, probably few of us, in modern conditions of life, know what it's like to really be hungry or thirsty. We're, uh, we've been without a sink lavatory. We're remodeling our bathroom, been doing it. You know, when you do it yourself, you don't get in a hurry. And we've been doing it since February, and we're almost about to close it in and, and get it ready. But I ha- let me tell you how what a pain. I have to walk across the house to the other bathroom to get my toothbrush, to brush my teeth, all the way across that house. Now you say, whoa, man, that's terrible. But did you know that 90 plus percent of the world's population cannot turn a valve and get clear, clean water out of it? Mm. And here I am griping, we may never fix the bathroom, baby, but just one's all we need. I mean, we don't know what it's like. In, in the biblical days, uh, the men uh, ate one, they ate meat one time a week. That's it. That's it. We got a group leaving for Haiti after church today. Where are you at, Denise? Don't let me start lying. But our, our kids that we support in Haiti, they get a meal every day. But the other kids every other day. I mean, if you, you know what it's like to see little kids, yay high, going through dark garbage dumps looking for something to eat? See, we have no concept of any of that. But they're so hungry. And oh, to God, that we could be so hungry spiritually that we literally would dig everything we could just to try to get filled with the Spirit of God. Then I see the goal of the appetite. Now listen, you don't get blessed by just being hungry. My soul, if you did, everybody would be blessed. You get blessed by being hungry and thirsty for the right thing. And the right thing is righteousness. That's what he says. It's blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled. So if you want to be blessed, you've got the hunger and thirst after the right thing, which is righteousness. It's a Greek word, which really means it's a condition acceptable to God or approved of God. Matthew always uses the term righteousness here in the sense of a personal fidelity to God and his will. He's not talking about imputed righteousness. The moment you get saved, you're imputed in righteousness. The, the righteousness of Christ covers us. Your righteousness is like filthy rags. Mine is like filthy rags. So he's not talking about imputed righteousness. That happens the moment we get saved. He's talking about a practical righteousness, holiness here, that once we've got the imputed righteousness, then we ought to live like we got righteousness. 
There ought to be a certain standard that we live to. Saying, a preacher? Hmm. Well, let me just quote Acts 24, 16. Herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. Hmm. You see, the, the desire for righteousness means ultimately to be free from all forms of sin. Now, that's not going to happen until Jesus comes, but we ought to be shooting for it. We ought to be longing for it. Uh, we got a little extra time here. I can, I can do the little Greek here. If you put hunger and thirst in the Greek here, and you put a little word called of, it's a genitive case, which is expressed by the word of there. In other words, it says, I hunger for of bread. That means I'm hungering for a portion of the bread. But that's not what he's using here. He's saying, I'm hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Not a portion of righteousness, but all of righteousness. I want to live and be hungry and thirsty to be righteous completely. All together, not just part. See, we're satisfied for just part. Uh, he's a good old boy. Uh, you know, he don't create immorality and he don't steal. Uh, now, he's not going to help anybody and he's not going to do anything for God, but he's a good old boy. And we accept that, saying, well, you know, two out of three is not bad. But that's not what the Lord's saying here. He's saying, I want you to seek hunger and thirst after all righteousness. I want you to live for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, immediately you say, preacher, uh, man, that's a lot of work. That, that's hard. It is hard. It is. And anybody tell you it's not would probably not be telling you the truth. But the real deal is you decide what you'll do for God, and I'll decide what I'll do for God. It's our decision whether or not we want to live righteously or not. And then the result here is satisfaction. Uh, he said, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, they shall be filled. They'll be satisfied. Now, there's a couple of things that's real evident here. Number one, it's only the people who are hungering and thirsting after righteousness that's going to be filled. It's not for everybody. If you're here this morning, you say, well, I don't know the Lord, don't want to know the Lord, don't want to have nothing to do with the Lord or the kingdom of God, hey, that's your prerogative. But don't you come up in here thinking you're going to have be filled because you're not going to be filled. It comes from those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. 1939, William Sangster assumed leadership of Westminster Central Hall as a church near London's uh, Westminster Abbey. During the very first worship service they had, he had to announce to his congregation that England had gone to war with Germany. And as soon as the worship service was over, they went to work, cleared out all the basement down there, and for 1,688 nights, he ministered to people, made it an air raid shelter, and he fed people, clothed people, worked with people, Help them spiritually. And in the middle of all that, still had time to get a Ph.D. and preach every week and study and write books and all that too. Tremendous man of God. Everyone thought he would replace Wesley when Wesley uh, retired and, and was gone. But sometime after the war, Sangster 
was diagnosed with a progressive muscular atrophy. And for three years, he slowly died. A man that had done so much in three years, terminal illness, slowly died. His attitude didn't falter when he learned about his illness. He, he sat down, took a piece of paper, and made four rules for himself. Rule number one was this, I will never complain. Whoo, have mercy. I'll never complain. He got a terminal illness. I'll never complain. We've got shut-ins in this church. I, I don't get around to them near like I need to. But I want to tell you, nine out of ten that I go to, I go thinking I'm going to be a blessing, and I leave knowing that they were the ones that blessed me. Boy, to have the attitude, I'm not going to complain. Now, we got a couple that do. But I tell you, by and far, I, I, they're a blessing. I'm, I'm not going to complain. The second thing he said was, I'm going to keep my home bright. I'm not going to sit in a room and draw all the shades down and sit in the dark and get into mully grubs and just, you know, waller in it. I'm going to open the blinds. I'm going to turn on the lights. I'm going to keep the home bright. Not going to complain, going to keep the home bright. Third rule he wrote down is, I will count my blessings. He said, good, great, your blessing, you're fixing to die, man. But he said, I've got food, and I've got a beautiful home, and a roof over my head, and I've got clothes, and I've got family, and I've got salvation. I mean, can you just imagine just beginning to count the blessings that God has blessed you with? He said, I'll never complain. I'm going to keep the home bright. I'm going to count my blessings. And I'm going to try to turn it to gain. I want my life to count for something even in the end. I hear this. If I hear it one time, please don't tell me this. Preacher, if you don't slow down, you're going to burn out. Well, hello, I'd rather burn out than rust out. So I just tell you, when you hear that I burn out and I was on my last glow, you just know I was praising the Lord on my way out. Man, we, we got too many folks. If Jesus is really coming, now if he's not, just go and do whatever you want to do. But if he's really coming, if we really believe that, we need to jerk this thing up in a higher gear. It needs to get a little bit more than what we've got. They shall be filled. Hmm. You see, folk, many of us today are directing our attention on the promises of the Scripture and not the principles and the precepts. The, the promises come after you're obedient. Hmm? Those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, when do they get filled? When they're hungering and thirsting after righteousness. That's the promise. The lady in, in Kings, remember, I've used it so many times in illustration. It's my favorite verse to preach on. She's had a giant garage sale. Her husband's dead. She sold everything she's got. They're coming to take her two sons for slavery because she can't pay her bills. And she goes to the man of God, and I'm sure she would have went to him and said something like, Brother Clark, can you help me with something here? Can you pay my rent? Can you do this? Can you do that? And he said, what do you have in your house? She said, I got a little bitty vase and got about a half a quart of oil in it. 
He said, you go tell your sons to collect all the empty vases they can. And you bring them back. And you close the door and you start filling them up. They did that. Can't you just see that those two boys? They go over to Miss Smith's house and they knock on the door. And they said, Mama wants to know if you've got any empty vases we can have. Uh, and Miss Smith says, oh, yeah, your mama, she's so humble. She's so good. What she really needs is some green beans and potatoes. What she really needs is some stuff that we put up. I'm going to get you some of that. And the boy said, no. Mama said, bring empty vessels. Empty. See, you can't fill vessels that are not empty. Now, I'm not a great math person, and from looking at our scores, there's not many great math people around East Texas. <laughs> but from deep East Texas, if you brought 10 empty vessels and all of them got filled, how many vessels would you have? That's not a twi trick question. <laughs> you'd have 10, wouldn't you? If you brought 20, you'd have 20. If you brought 30, you'd have 30. But if you only brought one, you'd only have one vessel. You don't get the blessing until you're obedient to what God says do. And he says here, when you seek and hunger and thirst after righteousness, you will be filled. Mm. Psalm 107.9, for he satisfieth the longing soul and filled the hungry soul with goodness. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift comes from above. Psalm 68.19, blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. Ephesians 3.20, now to him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. And I could go over, and I could go over, and I could go over. Scripture after scripture. Seek the Lord with hunger and righteousness. Now let me close this thing down. How do you get a desire for hunger and, and thirst? How do you get it? I mean, we, gotta, we know if we got it, we're going to be filled. So how do we get it? I'm glad you asked. Because there's five little simple things here. Number one, frequently study the Word of God. You want to know how to create an attitude of hunger in you? Get in this word right here. Now, don't start reading Ecclesiastes or Leviticus. Get over there in John or, or, or Philemon or Philippians, any of those. But read the word of God. Because the more you read the word, first of all, it's not going to come back void. This is the only book that we're promised. When we read it and it goes out, it accomplishes what it's meant to do. No other book can do that. I've got a book I was trying to put together a weed eater last night. I've still got extra parts. <laughs> the book does not do. You know, and I've said this before. When, it's, <laughs> when it says in Chinese, that means stay up all night. What you going to do? Uh, you know, study the scripture. I was reading the testimony of... of uh, Alexander Duff, he was the first missionary for the Church of Scotland to India. He married his wife on a Wednesday, and on Thursday they left going to India on a ship. They are going to be missionaries. The ship was wrecked twice. The first one was okay, they got out of it, everything okay. The second one, though, split the ship right half in two. 
and they're hanging on for their life all night on the clefts of the rock and everything there. He had an 800-volume set of theology books and all. All of it gone. I mean gone. The next day while they were being rescued, there was one, looked like a package bobbing out there in the ocean. It was his Bible. He took that Bible, the only book to survive. He took that Bible, and in 1829, he started out with seven kids under a tree. Seven kids. See, that Bible is worth more than everything else. And before he was through, within three weeks' time, there were over 300 people meeting under that tree. Listen, the Word of God is true. It's perfect. And when you get around people who are going to cast doubt on this Word, i got another point coming up I'll tell you about. Okay? Get into the Word of God. It promotes a sweet tooth for salting. Thy Word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Jeremiah 15, 16, thy words were found and I did eat them and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart for I'm called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. And then Psalm 119, 103, how precious. It said, how sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Get in the word of God. You want to create hunger and thirst? Get in the word of God. The second thing you want to do, you want to create hunger and thirst, do what you're doing right now. Come to church. Don't let anything keep you from coming to church. I mean, I know there are people out on vacations or people out, but I'll tell you, I didn't fall off the turnip truck. We got people sitting home doing nothing, watching television, like they're going to get educated watching as the world burns or something like that on television. Man, don't let things keep you from church. I'll never forget as a child growing up, our, our family would, uh, and your family's the same way. They'd all pop in on Sunday morning. And my mama would say, uh, we're going to Sunday school and church. Now afterward, we'll, put it, we'll eat, we'll fellowship and all that. But we go to Sunday school and church on Sunday morning. I remember that many times. Drove off and left them sitting in our house. Some of my cousins were crooks and we left them there. Just be sure you lock up the silverware before you go. But you, you go to church. You see, this is the place where you can help develop a spiritual appetite for the things of God. We're, we're, we're pushing Jesus here. That's what we exalt. That's who we glorify. We're not pushing things of this world. We're, hey, other things happen and all that. But I'm telling you, our goal is Jesus. Jesus. A pastor was once asked to define faithful attendance at worship. And he said this. He said, I just think we ought to treat worship the same way we treat the things every day in life. And they said, well, what do you mean? What are you calling, preacher? What are you calling faithful attendance? And he just asked a few questions. He said, if your car started one out of three times, would you consider it faithful? I mean, if your hot water heater worked three days out of seven, would that be a good hot water heater? Or would you have a problem with it? If your refrigerator worked just four or five days out of the week and then it didn't work, would you be okay with that? You say, preacher, that's crazy. I mean, hey, I'll tell you what, dude. Miss a couple of mortgage payments. 
10 out of 12 every year ain't bad. Just miss them. You think they'll say that's okay? No. And that's when you're going to say, preacher, you're, you're asking us to do too much. I'm not asking you to do anything. I would tell you this. If you can figure out a way that you've paid Jesus back for what he's done for you, I say, don't do anything else. I've just never been able to figure out a way to do it. Because what my Lord has done for me, I could never repay. I could work 24 hours a day, and I could never repay what Jesus has done for us. The Bible says in Acts 2.46, they continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. <laughs> My preacher friends say, and there's nowhere does it say we have to go to church on Sunday night. I said, no, Acts 2.46 says you go every night. They went daily, every day. You say, well, what are the advantages? Well, for the child of God, the advantages are close friendships. There are folk in this church right here that you're closer to people in your life group than you are to your own family. You, you develop a closer relationship. Now, sometimes people say, <clears throat> well, they're just cliques. And you've got to be very careful about that. I would encourage you life group leaders, make sure that your group's just not a little old clique. Now, how you can tell is when somebody new comes in and ain't nobody talking to them, you in a clique. But the most normal thing in the world, if you're going to study together and pray together and cry together and laugh together, sure you're going to grow close. You ought to be growing close. It also, you should, in the house of God, get a challenge from Scripture, from the pulpit, from the Sunday school teacher, even in the bulletin. Everything you open ought to challenge you in the Word of God. And then you ought to get counsel and direction that God gives you through other members of this church. And then a clear conscience that comes from being faithful, an awareness of the need of the church family and missionaries. I can quote you all kinds of uh, uh, statistics showing that if you'll bring your family to church together, you got a lot better chance of never having a divorce. Mm. And then the channel to serve God through different ministries of this church. Wow. You can go on mission trips. You can work with youth ministry, children's ministry, music ministry. You can do senior adult ministry. You can do nursing home ministry. You can do jail ministry. All of those things, our church has an input in every one of those things. You can do all of those. Well, let me give you the third thing. You not only get in the Word of God, you not only come to church, but the third thing is avoid the things that affect your appetite for God. You want to hunger and thirst after righteousness? Then there are some things that you need to avoid. And let me tell you, there's some people you probably ought to avoid. If they're dragging you down instead of you lifting them up, you probably don't have any business being around them. The same principles apply to our physical diet as well as our spiritual diet. I mean, our nursery over here, God love them, they do a great job. They do a tremendous job. But they feed my four-year-old grandson goldfish over here. They're doing it right now. Right now, while we're sitting here. 
Now, they'll blame me. They'll say the preacher's too long-winded and we've got to keep him satisfied. But I'll tell you what happened. I've got lunch prepared over here for him and he ain't going to be hungry. You know why? Because he filled up on junk this morning. The reason some of us are not hungry for the things of righteousness and thirsty for the things of righteousness is we filled ourselves up with junk. We've watched television. In my soul, mm, I can't even watch the Rangers anymore without getting hot. So, I mean, if you can't watch TV without, uh, without getting in the flesh, you ain't going to be watching TV. Avoid the things that will affect your appetite for God. James 4, 7, you've heard me quote this more. It's the most misquoted verse in the entire Word of God. People come and they say, I'm trying to resist the devil. He won't leave me alone. I find myself, that's not what the scripture says. The scripture says, submit yourself to God. Then resist the devil and he'll flee from you. But if you're not going to resist the devil before you submit to God, it's not going to work. Well, let me give you the fourth thing. Pray often. Pray often. How many times do you pray? I, uh, Becky asked me how I slept. I, I woke up every 45 minutes last night. I knew I probably need to stay up all night and, and just pray. But I said, Lord, I'm so tired. But he woke me up every 45 minutes on the dot. When he wakes you up, pray. Pray. I heard about those three preachers that were talking about prayer in general. They were on the telephone talking about it, and there was a telephone repairman also on the line, working on the line. And so he was hearing every, all the conversation. And this one preacher said, the only way to really pray is you've got to put your hands together and lift them up toward heaven. That's the way you pray. The second preacher said, oh, no, 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 no. No, you've got to kneel. If you're not kneeling, you ain't really praying. The third preacher said, no, both y'all are wrong. Only way to really pray is to fall flat on your face before the Lord. The telephone guy had all of it he could stand. He, he finally said, excuse me, sir. He said, but I found the most powerful prayer I ever made. I was dangling upside down from my heels from a power pole so, uh, 40 foot up in the air. Now, that'll help you to pray, too. The bottom line is, it doesn't matter how you pray, pray. Pray often. Don't, 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 don't put it off. Pray. Let me give you the last thing I'm through. Serve the Lord and work for him. You want to create hunger? You want to create thirsting for righteousness? Serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. We got this terrible myth in our country that hard work is killing people. It's a lie. Stress is killing people. Hard work never hurt anybody. Some of y'all in this building right here, you used to work jobs 8, 10, 12 hours a day and then come home and hook a mule up and plow until dark. Let, let me, you, you remember, can you just remember just for a moment? Nobody had to say dinner's ready twice. You are ready to eat supper. That's why kids aren't hungry today. They sit and watch video games all day and play games. Put them out there mowing that yard and hoeing that corn. I guarantee you, 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 one time, dinner's ready, they'll be there. You see, working creates an appetite. 
And when you're working for the Lord Jesus Christ, it creates a spiritual hunger and thirst for the things of God. And that's what he's talking about here. Acts 20 says, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying and weight of the Jews. Romans 12, 11, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Let your light so shine before men, Matthew 5, 16, that they may see your good works that glorify the Father in heaven. We could go on and on. We need to work for the Lord. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir in a lot of these places because you are a working church. Listen, we got Tabitha over here. She's in charge of all of the children's camps, Faith Explosion, right here in our church. Working dude. And she's worked everybody else out here too. <laughs> well, you are, listen, when I looked at last week at Bible school, I looked at block parties, I looked at things that are going on, people driving buses, people taking their lunch hour to come drive a bus home so kids could get home. I, hey, you're a working church. But I'm looking at a few of you that are not doing very much. And you need to step it up. You need to work for the Lord. I mean, when you begin to work for the Lord, you're going to create an appetite. I know it's difficult at times, but all you got to do is stop and remember what he's done for you. When, you. when you think of all that the Lord has done for you and all he's blessed you with, man, how could we not do more for him? I was reading, I love reading these missionary stories. Tom and Mabel Willie <clears throat> went to Panama. They moved into a mud hut with a thatched roof and dirt floor. Of course, you know how it is. Uh, Tom was out ministering to people, so his wife was there with their three kids there. And uh, she found herself stuck there. And the uh, children would come home from playing. They'd be covered with little brown insects. And... Uh, she would remove those things, many tears and, and liberal amounts of kerosene. That's how we used to operate. Kerosene was the number one uh, liquid that we had in the house. And uh, one evening after all the kids were in bed, she was just so overcome with emotion, she ran outside the old stump and just said, Lord, she started complaining. She said, Lord, all, all I ever wanted was a beautiful home. Is this my beautiful home, this mud hut? With, with a thatched roof and the critters falling off of it. And she just continued weeping and praying. And suddenly the Lord just came over her and said, Mabel, could you not live in this mud hut for me? And he asked her that again. Remember what I've done for you? She said her heart was so touched. She remembered the blessings of love and all the many things that God had already done and she said yes Lord I can live in this mud hut for you and she said I give my desire for a beautiful home my children my husband all of us all to you you do with me what you will and she said suddenly the peace of God surrounded her like it had never been before that's the way the Lord would do and she said I rose from my knees and that mud hut, to me, became a mansion for the Lord. It looked altogether different in my eyes. This morning, you may be here, 
and you've never trusted Christ, I want to tell you, Matthew 5, 6 is not for you until you get saved. It'll make you mad. It'll make you mad. It's only for those who've been saved by the blood of the Lamb. You say, well, then I don't have to deal with it. No, this is your opportunity to be saved. This is your opportunity. This is why God's gathered us all here together today. So you could be saved. This invitation time is a time when we say yes to Jesus and do business with God. Most of us in this place, though, we, uh, we know the Lord. We've just gone cold. Yesterday. Now, I, I know how to act in front of church. I, I know when we all get together. I never, you know, the rule is when we're God's people, never let an offering plate pass you. I mean, if you ain't got no money, thump the bottom of it, make them think you put something in it or something, but never let an offering plate pass you. Now, I'm not talking about tithing. I'm just talking about any time there's an opportunity to give in the house of God, don't you be the one that don't give. I know that. But I'll just be honest with you. Sometimes these guys standing at these street corners just kind of hack me off. I've known two or three of them that, We've had some experiences here that I tried to hire some and it wasn't enough money. And I'm thinking, you know, you're the one who said you'd work, uh, you know. And, but yesterday, uh, it's just one of them moments. I was at a corner and a guy was there and I thought, mm, you ain't getting a dime out of me. And the car in front had a little kid in it and he gave a bottle of Gatorade to him. And I'm telling you, God got all over me. And I had to redo my theology. Now, this ain't for everybody. But I'm just telling you, I'm not going to let one of them pass that I don't give something to. Because it's more blessed to give than to receive. And it's up to God to determine all the other. Now, I don't mean to be taken for a fool, but I just tell you, there are legitimate people out there that they, they, they don't have anything else. They're not blessed like we are. And they don't have anything else. And I don't have sense enough to know who is and who's not. So if I'm going to err, I think I'd rather err on the side of grace than on the side of the law. And maybe that's where we are today as a church. <laughs> maybe we've just done so much for God and God's blessed us so much that we've just kind of become complacent. and said, Lord, I'll, I'll help those who I know and I'll help those inside here, but I'm not going to do much else. And maybe your heart's grown cold. Maybe your heart's gotten smaller than what it was. And maybe today, God's spoken to your heart and said, if you'll hunger and thirst after righteousness, you will be filled. Lord, uh, we're grateful today for your promises. We ask you, Lord, to keep us 
in the center of your will. Lord, may we be willing to do the precepts and the principles of the Word of God before we expect the promises. I pray today most of all for those that are sitting in this congregation right now who don't know you as a personal Savior, who are lost. God, today, would you save them before it's eternally too late? And then, Lord, for every one of us, maybe there are those in this place today that's looking for a church home. God, if that's true, and it's your will that they be here, would you show them that today? And then, Lord, for the rest of us who love you, we've been saved, we want to do good, but, God, our heart's grown cold. Would you just shake us up this morning? And, Lord, may once again, we seek you with all of our face. We hunger after righteousness. We thirst after righteousness so that we can be filled and be a testimony for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Have your way is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. As we stand and Brother Walter.